they're so into why they think people need it that they don't see how customers are actually using the product and what they actually want from it. It's such a big discrepancy. Welcome to Marketers Talking Marketing. Today, we are joined by Sam, and we are going to talk about turning customer research into copy. I almost said content, but I didn't. It's copy. <laughs> Sam, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yes, I am definitely on the I write copy, not content side of this. Uh, a conversion copywriter and strategist working with B2B SaaS startups. Nice. And how did you get into working with B2B SaaS? Randomly by chance. As I think All many, right. <laughs> many copywriters do. I don't think most B2B SaaS marketers in general intended to go into B2B SaaS. We all just find ourselves here somehow. Yes, and then we never leave. Get pretty much. But you must like it that you haven't left yet. Yes. Right? Okay. <laughs> yes, I like I know for some people like Ecom is the place to be, but I like B2B SaaS because it's always new and unexpected and there's all the cool products that emerge. So there's never a dull moment. I know someone as I I thought about saying this and I'm going to say it. I know someone listening is going to get offended by it. But I feel like B2B is a lot harder than like e-commerce or B2C. I think there's more nuances to it and it's more challenging. And I think that makes it more fun, that it's not quite as direct. Like your sales cycles are longer. I think the, the amount of information and detail someone wants before making a purchase on the B2B side is completely different. Like I bought, I have bought so much stuff off Instagram ads because I thought it looked pretty. I'm not going to do that for a $120,000 year piece of software. Probably <laughs> like, not. Yes. You know, you can't rely just on packaging and visuals for it. But what are, what are some of the things that you think become more compelling when writing for conversion? I think that the thing that stops most of the startups from being really tuned into conversion rate optimization is being way invested in their product. Oh. So it's not that they don't know what a good landing page looks like. It's not that they are not aware of CTA best practices, but being able to kind of turn around and look at the website from the point of view of a prospect who has never seen the product in their life can be super hard. It is, I laugh because there is a product that I absolutely love. I'm not going to name them, but I love them. And I keep telling them that their pitch is wrong. And they'll say, here's what we do. And I'm like, well, what I tell people you do and why I'm able to refer you business is, is this other thing. And they go, oh, that's really a secondary benefit. I don't care about your primary benefit. Like that is why people are going to buy you. And so you should really lean into it. They're like, no, 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 no. We know our audience. They really care about this other thing. And I could be wrong. I could have maybe just found an audience that cares about the second thing, but I don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> but they're so in, they're so into why they think people need it that they don't see how customers are actually using the product and what they actually want from it. It's such a big discrepancy that I, yeah, I think a lot of people face. Do you so in your work? 
part of it, right, is understanding why people want to buy, why they want to convert. And then you take that and you take that back to the startup. Do you find when you tell them what matters to people is different than what they think it is? How do they react to that? Are they often surprised? A short answer. My short answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) My longer answer is most of the startups that I work with start working with me because they realize they're internally running in endless circles and they just don't know how they can describe their product in a way that would resonate with their audience. So typically they've identified that there's a gap. They know that you're going to come back and tell them what people actually care about. Are they receptive? Most of the time, yes, because they know they need to fix it. I, I feel like I could still see people being like, we figured it was, it was what we thought it was the whole time. <laughs> it's just consumers are, consumers don't understand the product. <laughs> it's a, a line I've heard quite us. a bit. <laughs> yeah. What are some of your, your techniques for figuring out what consumers really care about? Customer interviews. And I mean, you, it's not a technique. Yeah. It's, it's more like, this is my go-to and there's yeah. like, a lot more to it. So, yeah, well, tell, tell me more about it. Right, so let me break this down a bit. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be interviews, but I just prefer them because then I can ask follow-up questions and not have those annoying survey responses when there's like three words and they feel like they've explained everything and yeah. you're like, mm, I really wish I knew what you meant here. Yeah, like, <laughs> why did you buy? It works. <laughs> okay. Like, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. Exactly. So the way I work, is I start with internal interviews so I can figure out like what the problem even is. Because if I think that not being receptive to customer research insights is less of a problem. A bigger problem is figuring out what the problem actually is. Is it the offer? Is it that we're attracting wrong prospects? And if so, why? Or could it be simply that the copy is so unclear that website visitors are just like, well, I think that's this thing, so I'm going to hit sign up button and then be sorely disappointed. Yes. <laughs> I have been on the other end of that where I've been on a call for a product that I thought did something totally different than it actually did. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is a waste of all of our time. <laughs> like It doesn't work. Do you see any trends in that where it's often like it's often pricing and positioning or it's often, you know, one of the other things? Is there anything that tends to stand out as the most common thing that startups are are getting challenged with? I think it's uh, and I am opening a can of worms here. (laughs) I think a lot of that is the amount of noise around positioning as a thing. So my favorite pet peeve is the category of one. Just be your own category and blue ocean and it's going to be awesome. Category creation is like the (laughs) hottest buzzword right now. Everyone wants to create a new category. No one wants to fall into existing ones. Yes, and then nobody can either... Either nobody can find you, so paid traffic and related expenses... Or nobody gets what you even do, and then you have to try and explain it like, if Trello and X had a baby, this can be also quite 
often misinterpreted. So you're like, we're the Uber. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. We're the Airbnb of fam. We're the Uber of fam. It's like, what does that mean? Yes. What does that mean? I think it's, uh, I always, everyone's on too, will see something where it feels like they're, they don't want to be simplified. And so they're like, we're not, we're not just X, but we're actually this, this whole thing. It's like, so you do X. <laughs> it's like, so you do that. Yes. And differentiation and positioning have to come before copy. Yeah. So I, that's something that needs to be addressed before we can even go in and work on the copy. Do you end up then also doing a lot of like competitor research to figure out other people's positioning and how they may differentiate between your client and their competitors? Yes. And my favorite way to go about this is read reviews, mostly because then you can... Competitors can also be somewhat biased in how they describe their product. So I do not trust their <laughs> website copy. <laughs> shocking. Yes, very shocking. Yeah. But if you get into the reviews, you can see who actually is leaving them. So who's the most motivated robo users and what are yeah. they saying? So that helps kind of triangulate things a bit and figure out where there are opportunities to dial in. Well, I don't want to say segmentation, but dial in specificity. We are for this segment or we are better for these folks. But again, it all has to come back to customer research. Do you find that you're also able to suss that out in your customer interviews where you're, is it important in those interviews to ask about competitors or complementary tech or other things that might be competing for budget? Yes. Yeah. That, that is a very short answer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it makes sense. Um, yeah. So what, what else do you, what are some of the maybe things that people aren't thinking about, including in a customer story that you liked or in a customer interview that you like to include? Oh, one question came up really recently. They, how would you describe our product to somebody else? Or if you were to recommend this to a friend or a colleague, what would you say? I love asking that one. I actually, that came up on a podcast that I recorded earlier in the day because I think it's really hard oftentimes to, when you build something, you're marketing it, it's really hard to understand how your customers see it and, and share it. So I actually often will ask that question when I get referrals in and I'll ask the person who did the referring, like, thank you so much for introing, you know, Acme Co., uh, just so I understand, how did you describe them? How did you describe us to them? How did you describe like our features and benefits to them so that I can use the same messaging? But inadvertently, I'm able to see how are you, how are you talking about us? You know, what language are you using? Is it casual? Is it formal? You know, are there certain features you care about? So yeah, that's also one of my, my favorites. When you're, when you're going about these interviews also, do you ever find that customers provide feedback that's totally different than you thought it was, than you thought it was going to be? Like, do you have any, do you have any stories of, un, of surprising directions they've gone? I try really, really hard to not have assumptions going into calls just because it's so easy to derail customer interviews when you start asking leading questions. And mm. 
like basically explaining what you expect to hear yeah. as you're asking your questions. There definitely have been many surprises. And a lot of times it's the, what startup folks think is happening as those prospects come in and what is actually happening, especially things they care about. Uh, like the things that the customer cares about being different than what the startup thinks that they care about? Yeah, so startups have this very strong bias towards short, snappy copy and like nobody yes. reads web pages anymore. Let's just let's just have a CTA here. Right? CTAs everywhere. Ideal case scenario, yes, but yeah, let's not yeah. let's not make this a novel, basically. <laughs> yeah. And for some audiences, this doesn't work because they are super detail oriented and they're like, I will not sign up for a demo unless I am at least 90% sure this is what I need. Oh, yeah. I think we are seeing, we are seeing that shift in consumers wanting to be able to do their own research and almost make the buying decision prior to engaging with a rep, for sure. I find also certain demographics tend to consume long form content as a are more preferential towards longer form content, especially like certain geographical regions, or if you have some for procurement, <laughs> they may want to learn everything they mm -hmm. can because they want to compare you against other vendors to make sure that you're the right decision with it. So when you're, when you're working with a startup to help them produce copy, do you, is your output often different length copy to serve those different audiences or do you end up coming back with a recommendation around what would work best kind of generally i think in copy it's easier to balance the needs of please don't make me read and i want all the information on the page because there's there are so many ways to visually break up the page and make it easy for like impatient folks to take shortcuts, like they don't have to read it. But the more analytical folks will appreciate having that information mm -hmm. right there. Cool. Is it mainly a uh, copy on websites then too? Yes. Yeah. I feel like that's where a lot of people want to consume content now versus a PDF. They want that same content in web form to go through and parse. Is that true? I kind of or... go back and forth on PDFs. Yeah. Because sometimes they yeah. can be useful, I guess. But this just doesn't come up in my life. Like I am gotcha. strictly web copy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Are there any trends in copywriting that you're noticing or copy that you're noticing? I think that for startups, the biggest trend is let us follow best practices or let us go to the swipe file of the same awesome SaaS websites and try to be just like them. And sometimes it's like Asana can have a hero section that does not really explain what they do because they don't need to. Or any other market leader does not really have to explain what they do. Yeah. But you're a startup, almost... so you're kind of stuck. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're almost emulating where that company is as a unicorn mm -hmm. instead of looking at what that company was doing when they were the same size. Yes. I think Sounds a while like... back I used Wayback Machine to look at what MailChimp's <laughs> website was like way back when oh, they yeah. were starting out. 
like even design aside, even though like 90s design was definitely there, <laughs> they were extremely specific in the beginning because mm. they had to be. Yeah. And then like the further you go, the more high level their homepage becomes. Yeah. Even MailChimp used to position themselves as the, the email marketing platform of choice for growing companies. And that someday you graduate from MailChimp into Marketo or HubSpot. They didn't try and be that platform for everyone. And now they're trying to be a platform that competes against HubSpot and Marketo, especially in pricing. They're getting expensive. And I'm going to be honest, I set up MailChimp recently for a client because it had uh, the tool, the platform they're using for publishing has a native MailChimp integration. It's shit. <laughs> it's not, it has not changed much since the 90s. It is not good, <laughs> in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Don't sue me, MailChimp. It's a fact. <laughs> but they're trying, yeah, but they, they used to have drastically different positioning than they do now. Yeah, I feel like I should be defending MailChimp, but <laughs> I am kind of equally, I, w I used to be equally frustrated when I was working inside it. So let's just move on, I guess. So you predominantly work with, with earlier stage SaaS companies. Do you find that there are, it's, it's pretty uniform in the needs that they have when it comes to copy. And it tends to typically be, you, you mentioned before, positioning, differentiators and then it goes into copy is that typically what that whole package looks like are there other steps before the copy itself well to be clear for messaging and positioning my main task is to make sure that it is aligned with what's coming back from customer research because otherwise we'll just keep walking in a totally wrong direction and yeah. all of the copy work will be pointless if it's not, then it should be a part of a bigger conversation for the startup itself. Like you don't know who you're selling to. <laughs> or sometimes it just turns out that the assumptions about why they're buying are slightly different, which is less bad, right? It's just we need to tweak the messaging as opposed to who are these people and where are they coming from? Yeah, yeah, just like a, a little change with it. Uh, is there anything else people should know about copy for conversion there are many things that people should know about copy for conversion <laughs> pick a few <laughs> I, i've been having a lot of conversations with um startups on growth mentor where i do consulting calls and i think that the most kind of undervalued part is offer optimization so anybody can can add the book a demo section and everybody does add that section. Yeah. The question is, if all of your competitors are offering a demo, like why would I invest in spending my time with you? And if, if they're feeling really brave, the question is, is that even the right offer for your startup? Is the offer tweaking around maybe not offering a demo, but offering something else? Or is it around like incentivizing the demo? What does that usually look like? So the bigger question of should it even be a demo aside, which I really wish more people would not just try and gate everything in sight. Uh, we can come back to that. But for demos, I think the biggest issue is making prospects want to be on the demo. Like when I hear incentivize, I start thinking about those gift cards that 
some startups. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Bribe everyone. That is such a, like if your goal is to have demos, period, and you don't care about the quality of prospects coming in, or even if they are a prospect to begin with, then sure, gift cards are the way to go. But building up the narrative that makes them want to join you on the demo and addressing their concerns around what if I'm going to be hearing from your sales reps for the next five months every day, Yeah, which is sometimes a thing, and showing them that it will be worth their time. That's what I would like to see happen much more. And when it comes to should you have a demo, who should not have demos and who should have demos? Something that comes up a lot is like when you talk to the sales folks, there's always this one moment when prospects are like, oh, wow, this is what the product does. Now I get it. So in an ideal world, this, wow, this is what it does, does not happen during a demo. Mm. If you can show it on the website, yeah, you should be doing that. So it's really getting, getting out of the demo as the spot where customers are starting to, to put the connections together about what the product does. So they see it on the website and they're like, oh man, this looks really cool. And then they want to see the demo instead of having the demo be the mechanism to deliver that value. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a really, the approach makes sense. I can think of a million companies that don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, again, that's the assumption that you need to like get a hold of that person and present the product to them, Yeah. which in cases when a product is complex or if like it has to be customized or it just has to be, I don't know, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. What else can, like th- there yeah. are actual cases when a demo is the way to go, but ClickUp click can be insanely complex and yet somehow they manage to not make everybody go through the demo. ClickUp is, I love ClickUp. I want to caveat this statement. I love ClickUp. There is such a massive learning curve with ClickUp. And I feel like if I saw a demo and it walked me through how to set up automations and how to do all of the work, I wouldn't use it because it's a lot of steps. Mm -hmm. You know, I think ClickUp's messaging mainly focuses on the output that having organized systems gives you versus like the product experience too. If I recall from when I, from why I bought them <laughs> when I signed up. Yes, but like with those products, you know it's going to be painful. You know that yeah. until you have systems set up, it's not fun. So seeing that future of a beautiful, organized, everything works outcome definitely helps get through that initial yeah. frustration and pain. And agony. Yeah. Speaking of tools, though, are there, do you have a favorite tool in your tech stack? So many. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say Loom, which is a very weird oh. thing to say. But yeah. I like Loom. It, it just helps me explain what I'm doing. Yeah. And not. No, I, I like Loom also. Yeah, it definitely. I have a candle float from Loom somewhere. that I think the scent is not a meeting. (laughs) That's beautiful. 
or it's like this could have been a, this could have been a loom instead. I'll define it. I'll, I'll insert it for our episode. Um, well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Marketers Talking Marketing. We'll put links in the show notes below to all of your profiles if anyone wants to connect. And we'll see everyone on the next episode.